Buildings on Air with Kiefer Dunn on London Radio. Welcome, welcome to this July 2021 episode of Buildings on Air. I'm your host, Kiefer Dunn, and Buildings on Air is, of course, the show where we talk about architecture and left politics, sometimes more of one and less of the other. Um, and yeah, if uh, if you've been listening to the podcast over the last year, very excitingly, uh, we are in super producer Jamie Trecker's home studio because uh, we've got uh, in-person recording happening again. So our audio quality will be much improved, um, which I hope makes you all happy. It certainly makes me happy. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, for our kind of first in-person show back to have... Um, I think the most returningest buildings on air guests, uh, uh, the sort of stars aligned to make this possible. Um, Doug Spencer and Marianella Deprile are are here with us. Guys, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank yeah. you. Good, thanks. Yeah. So um, Doug is in town and, um, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I sort of sprung this on him at the last minute. Hey, I got to record a show. Uh, if you're in town, uh, would, would you mind? And very graciously, he said yes. And uh, Marianelle, also, I sprung this on you, too. Uh, yesterday. Uh, yesterday. And uh, <laughs> but you're 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 about to move to New York. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of uh, the buildings on air greatest hits with the with the stars aligned. <laughs> Uh, but you know, as a, as a as a as a little bit of a caveat, you know, because I sprung this on these guys, these are these are fresh hot takes, you know. So uh, be be gentle on us. We're you getting know? the band back together for a surprise, <laughs> one night only. Exactly, it's mm-hmm. a, a pop up pop up show. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off. We we had some uh, listener mail here um, from somebody who prefers to remain anonymous. We'll call them Jay and. Um, um, yeah, I figured this would be a good place for us to start. Um, so Jay um, is a big fan of the show, um, uh, writing in from California. And his question is related to uh, sort of ethics and professional practice. So obviously you've, <laughs> you've called into the right show, you know, uh, <laughs> talking about uh, architecture, professional practice. So um, specifically, Jay... Uh, had a job right out of university and worked there for some time and um, then uh, got a, a better job <laughs> um, instead of uh, continuing on at his company and uh, which congratulations uh, on your better <laughs> job. Um, <laughs> moving on up. Moving on up. Um, but when he, uh, t- you know, stated his notice that he was going to leave, mm-hmm. um, basically they said, uh uh, you know, it's the polite thing to do to not give us two weeks notice, but four weeks notice. And, um, <laughs> and I didn't so, know the world ran on politeness. Yeah, yeah uh, that's news to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> and so his kind of question is like, is that re- and, the, and, and the employers sort of um, explained uh, that this was, you know, you never know who you're going to be working for in the future, who you're going to be working with in the future. You don't want to burn any bridges. So like low key threatening. Like, yes, like, you know, uh, it's good to stick around for four weeks. And so his question is really like, is that really the industry standard? <laughs> um, and, you know, um, 
and 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 you know it, it transpired that he he ended up working there for three and a half weeks was what he negotiated oh, in the end and they had him of course squeezed him and had him working 50 60 hour weeks during that and the real <laughs> kicker here is Horrible. they uh said that um <laughs> that they would keep his cell phone number on file in case they had any questions for him after he left <sighs> yeah so you know, I think that should uh, be illegal. Yeah, it should. I mean, so so you know, he he feels um, uh, uneasy about this, but um, you know, his sort of question is like, you know, how does one appropriately leave a job in architecture? What is the proper notice for exiting a firm? <laughs> should I change my phone number? And is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> should I change? I think if you don't want your old boss. A boss or bosses to uh, call you, you should totally change your phone number. Yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> to, to start there with that specific question. Yeah. But I think more largely, I mean, sure, like two weeks notice, I think is sort of like has become a, a customary because I think that that's what used to be in employment contracts was that if you were going to break, right. you know, break your contract, um, you had to give two weeks notice. Of course, I am assuming that what this person has is not a, a contract for a set period of time, but rather right. an at-will employee, employment agreement, which means that um, if his bosses, their bosses wanted to fire them, they could do it the the day that they want they came up with the idea right. and then the next day that person wouldn't have a job and so what that means is that you also as a worker have every right to just say I don't want to work here anymore right. and say that and then leave the next day it's <laughs> right. a nice courtesy to give two weeks you know like and I I think from like a you know human like life living standpoint it's probably like you know nice like karmically to do that yeah uh, but if we're just talking about like you know, employment law, there is certainly no reason to give that much notice. And there's certainly no reason to um, uh, give four weeks of notice. No. At that point, it's like, are you even really leaving? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak to employment law of any sort, let alone U.S. employment law. But yeah, it, do, it does make me think about the the kind of insidious nature of how these relationships and, and obligations develop in a, in a workplace that it's often presented as uh, you know the idea that we're, we're all a family working on something right. mm-hmm. or we're all uh, a team is the word of choice to describe you know this is a, a team we all work together yeah. to a larger end but that's not reciprocated as Marinella has just said because you could be fired right. any day so we, all you owe the the bosses is the reciprocation of that in in turn, right? Can mm-hmm. any day. Right, right. Yeah, the two. But we- yeah, but the- it becomes difficult because as as human beings, we we do have relationships with the people we work right. with, of course. Even our bosses, right, right, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. right. And they're not they're not all bad. Right. I have to say, in case my boss is, is listening <laughs> at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. So those those things can get complicated, but yeah. but one has to be aware of of that familiarity that comes from the workplace being exploited totally mm-hmm. yeah and, the, and and being manipulated yeah and yeah my yeah my understanding is that there's no federal or state laws that mandate you having two weeks giving two weeks notice unless you have an employment contract that supersedes it and uh 
so the two weeks is the courtesy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like Doug is saying, you know, I think yeah, it makes total sense. You'd yeah. be kind of like a sociopath if you just really, really did not absolutely care at all yeah. about like giving some notice or something or like extending that sort of kindness to people that you've supposedly right. re- developed a relationship with. Mm-hmm. But I think from there to sort of what I what I like heard in that story is like a vague threat of retaliation Mm -hmm. of some sort that is like once you're not working there anymore you can't deal with it because you're you know no longer have like access to hr or whatever Mm -hmm. um yeah that's just really ugly for an employer to like threaten you know we might we might cut off your chances of employment down the line if you don't you know comply with what we're asking yeah it's a it's a really and you don't have a recourse as a worker no and it's a really insidious way of yeah like weaponizing that familiarity Mm -hmm. you know um which i remember every every sort of um what i i I almost cursed uh every every uh bad retail job and and uh, that i ever worked you know we weren't called employees we were called team members oh yeah Including, um, which was also really weird when I worked at, I were, uh, listeners may or may not know, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show before, but I worked at Medieval Times for four years. Uh, I knew you did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and we were all team members. Yeah. Can you explain what Medieval Times is for listeners like me who are uh, uninformed? Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. so, so, so Medieval Times is, it's a it's a dinner, dinner tournament. So they, it's like a... Uh, you watch a, a basically a, a theatrical play that involves actual horses and knights jousting and uh, you know fighting with swords um, and you <laughs> and know you, isn't while you're everything eating also medieval themed yeah oh, including oh, yeah. your dinner yes including your dinner there's no silverware and yeah and when you work there you wear a tunic with tights and that's your uniform talk about humiliation so, yeah do you have photos i have oh yeah i worked in the photography oh, you department you haven't seen the photos yeah <laughs> okay. all right i'm gonna move us on that's gonna, uh, be, that's gonna be bonus content for <laughs> subscribers only yeah. but you know you know if you're employment company. Yeah, were, yeah. You, were you tied to the land? Yes, I was. T- I was, which was, which was literally in a, in a mall in Gwinnett County, Georgia. So yeah, you know, we had to, to sleep there and, and tithe tithe to the Lord, uh, yeah. pay, pay yeah, to, to find some grain, you know, to send to the manager um, to continue my employment. Yeah, but you know, jokes aside, if you're wondering, you know, how how I ended up hosting a show about um, left politics, um, you know, working for minimum wage in a job where you have to wear tights will, uh, you know, rewrite your political outlook pretty yeah. quickly. Wasn't minimum wage also <laughs> at that time like five fifty an hour? Yeah, or something? it was in Georgia. It was like five fifty, and this was not, you know, <laughs> like look, I, I'm I'm not that old, you know, I'm 31 years old. It's uh, this was not that long ago. This was 15 <laughs> years ago. It was five fifty an hour. Like my God. So, Horrible. Yeah, um, but but to to pivot, uh, mm-hmm. maybe maybe not a huge pivot, but you know one of the one of the reasons why I was so excited to sort of have Doug back on the show is you you were back in the sh- you were on the show not so long ago, Doug, in January, yeah, um, talking about your book, uh, critique of architecture, excellent yeah. book. I hope uh, listeners picked up. But we got some really nice fan mail after that show, mm-hmm. um, sort of people talking about how how they thought the conversation was super super interesting, and we sort of brushed on um 
we do a little bit more than brush on, but we talked about uh, this figure, Manfredo Tifori, uh, uh, a man <laughs> near and dear to all of our hearts here uh, on Buildings on Air. Um, and some listeners just had some some really interesting questions about like where to start, like some what are the history of these ideas, like sort of. So I, I figured it would be a good opportunity to kind of. Um, you know, take a couple of steps back and sort of talk about like, sure. what's what's the deal with this Manfredo Tafori <laughs> guy? Uh, yeah, uh, we're joking. Uh, you know, producer Jamie's not in the room, but we need a, a sort of uh, "Mamma Mia, here we go again" drop for for every time uh, uh, yeah. Buildings on Air brings up uh, the, the specter of Manfredo Tafori. <laughs> so yeah. uh, maybe maybe tell us. So who who is this Manfredo Tafori guy? Why are we why are we cracking jokes about him? Uh, what's what's um, What's the deal here? Yeah, well, he's he's. Um, I mean, the first thing to say is that I, I find his ideas, some of his ideas and some of his writing incredibly useful mm-hmm. still as a way to think about architecture. Um, in the world of academia, I'm certainly not an expert mm-hmm. on Tafuri, but I think that's no no bad thing. I don't think one needs to be an expert yeah. on him. That's a a job for those who, who want to take it. But um, I think what I'm really focused on in his work is this point in the from the late 60s to the early 70s, which is especially captured in his architecture and utopia, where, uh, as as my friend and, and comrade William Orr, who you've had, you've had Will and Rick on your show, yeah. he says this is the militant, Tafuri mm-hmm. um, and it's not perhaps so much the case with some of his later work uh, but this this is the work where it, it's deeply politically motivated to understand from a Marxist perspective mm-hmm. the role that architecture plays in acculturating people to the conditions that capital presents them with mm-hmm. um, and in the particular context of its writing is his what why he's really challenging and, and provocative is because he's writing against an avant-garde or a kind of revived avant-garde that's emerged mm-hmm. not only in Italy but elsewhere in Europe so if we, we think about the the late 60s like in the UK we think about things like Archigram but then in Italy we might think about super studio mm-hmm. There are all these kind of countercultural inflected groups in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. as well, sort of and avant-garde architects who are doing vi- visionary projects. Yeah, many of whom were never meant to be realized, or yeah, sort of crit- yeah. critiques loosely construed. Yeah, yeah. And, and he really points out that this is a kind of a very long-standing tradition of architecture mm-hmm. and cultural culture in general, as it presents itself as the avant-garde, which seems to be radical, mm-hmm. but in essence, to try and do justice to his ideas, however briefly, he's saying this is not a challenge to things as they are, it's a way of acculturating, so accustoming, accustoming people mm-hmm. to how things are, Yeah, you know, to make them kind of perhaps kind of more shiny and acceptable or to offer some way to vent difference, some way to express yourself, but only within things as, as they are mm-hmm. anyway. But he does it in a way that's... Kind of understandably uh, often 
indigestible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough to read. So uh, that's yeah, the it's, deal. it's yeah. yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little tough to, I recommend, uh, that was one of the questions that we got is like sort of, you know, you mentioned on, uh, the last time we were on the show, I, I sort of joked that it was, it was tough to read and someone was like, well, how, how do I start? And, um, so I, I gave them some suggestions, but I think it's nice to kind of read it, read it with, with friends, you know, and yeah. sort of, uh, just as like a basic tip, you know, it's, it's not, um, so inscrutable as to be, um, I, I don't know. You don't need to take a class to to to, to learn it. it. Might help, but 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 <laughs> yeah. it's definitely helpful to sort of read it with friends on some level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot lot of his writing is full of. Uh, it's kind of quite uh, allusive mm-hmm. um, and quite poetic in its own way, and apparently badly translated. Uh, I wouldn't know, but uh-huh. that's apparently the case. Um, but I think perhaps our, you know to start with architecture and utopia because it's not too long. Mm-hmm. And it's necessarily one of those things you need to kind of read and, and reread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, as, a, as a, just like a very practical tip, I mean, you can look at it and just kind of look up some of the key quotes and yeah. see what other people say about them and how they've interpreted them. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I always find that the value in, in, in architecture and utopia and, and um, friend of the show, Kate Wagner, uh, recently had a piece in The Nation sort of talking about right. um like why why architectural utopia is so bad because we we still see this like in in the world of architecture very often and um luckily at this point this is not like a novel idea on the architectural left you know you can open twitter and see critiques of this all the time which is great but but we kind of see these um you know every 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 month some some um star star architect uh you know has some sort of utopian fantasy project for you know um some sort of uh you know uh, like a floating city that's going to you know be able to survive climate change or you know <laughs> something something yeah. like this and mm-hmm. so we still see these sort of um utopias and and i think the sort of left critique that that we talk about a lot on the show and is i think always worth repeating and sort of developing is that you know um these are not these are not solutions to the world's problems right that you can't you can't simply sort of design your way out out of these things and it's sort of not enough to have um a a vision for the future um because there's questions of 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 power involved right in 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 so many ways so yeah yeah one of funny image from the piece by kate i thought was um how some of these proposals are like skyscrapers hanging from asteroids or whatever (laughs) and like you know obviously that's the most extreme example because it's a question of like, well, is, would that even be technically feasible? But like, mm-hmm. let's say it was. Mm-hmm. Let's say we could hang a skyscraper from an <laughs> asteroid. Yeah. Um, who would want to do that? Yeah. Who would be motivated yeah. to do that? Who would be able to um, find and secure enough resources yeah. to make that happen? And guess what? As we are seeing by... Um, the you know richest men on earth going to space it's certainly not people who have the interests of most people in the world in mind right. that would be able to figure out how to hang a skyscraper yeah. from an asteroid yeah. what's interesting like the duality of escapist fantasies right because for for a lot of us they are escapist fantasies but for a billionaire it's maybe uh, escapist an, an escapist reality. plot well you know yeah. what I hope they <laughs> escape forever <laughs> 
it's also funny too because you, this is like a this is like a structural engineer's joke. They have a joke like when 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 an architect like hands them something that's like yeah. never going to stand up. Like how how is it supported? And the, the, it's you know by a sky hook. Uh, so, so, you know, the stru- what's the structural what's the structural system here? It's sky hooks, you know. And then you have architects who are literally like, here's a sky hook, uh, like yeah. genuinely, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. We can say they're escapist fantasies, but I, I think it's also worth recognising what the escape is, is from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the function of that fantasy is. Yeah. What function, and its larger function is that, well, some of the things aren't escapist. They mm-hmm. are about like floating islands, which are, as Kate says in, in her piece, they kind of present it as if it's a kind of, realistic solution but mm-hmm. when you as soon as you begin to look at even like the mathematics of it this is only ever going to be a solution for a select few picking right. up marinella's point about who gets to to access these apparent solutions mm-hmm. um and and the escape that's been talked about here is is an escape from you know the very contemporary and ongoing conditions of climate catastrophe mm-hmm. right. so, so in a way those those fantasies are not just, you know, and a kind of like surreal escape from the mundanity of, mm-hmm. of reality. They are things that reinforce the idea that we can go on as we are, yeah. mm-hmm. because some of us can come up with solutions. Right, right. And and I think yeah, and I'm like I'm curious because um, I, I mean I think that there's there's a there's a a position that I've seen where people are like, well, sure, like maybe architects are, are sort of limited or, or have their agency inscribed in all kinds of ways. But like, um, you know, there's still some utility out there for for the architectural imaginary or for, mm-hmm. for sort of developing a projective vision. And I think where, where I land on that question personally is like that that may be true. Um, but uh, you have to understand the sort of political context around that and and those visions or or sort of um, um, architectural like you know the the expertise that architects bring to the table is like only useful to the extent that it is uh, guided by and I would even say subservient to like larger social movements that are that are fighting against the status quo and yeah. I think that that you very rarely ever see that mode of things right it's it's always sort of uh more often it's architects sort of working in a bubble uh off to the side or and and maybe they'll do some sort of rough loose semblance of participatory design processes to kind of you know uh, as a kind of box checking Mm -hmm. you know we did our social responsibility thing but like in 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 a a, but but they're very rarely connected to to movements in in a, in a real way sort of uh, bottom up bottom up movements i mean the the truth in my humble opinion is that architects have very little actual power in the world mm-hmm. but they have two things that become very confusing mm. for them. One, they uh, are in an industry that requires a d- absolute ton, just like a metric ton of capital mm-hmm. to get any of their projects built. Um, and um, two, 
because of that, they have a kind of proximity to power and that they have a mm. proximity to people who have those necessary amounts of capital. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the interests of the architect let's say the interests are like making a building that like mm -hmm. looks nice, aligns with the interests of the people who are investing in making that mm -hmm. happen, uh, developers, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, architects are like, well, wow, well, I can like make a change in the world because mm -hmm. I had this idea and then it happened in the world. And like if only everyone agreed with my idea, <laughs> then the world would be much better. <laughs> but that's not <laughs> that's not how the world works because as soon as that developer has like some different idea about yeah. like how to make it happen that like no longer coincides with the architect, all sort of like semblance or like illusion of power that the architect might have had like goes completely out the window. Right. And so yeah, and, and I think we can look at, like, actual examples. So, like, re here in Chicago recently, there was a 100% affordable housing development mm -hmm. that was developed on the north side in Logan Square. Mm -hmm. And what that took to make that happen was not an architect having the a vision for, like, a nice <laughs> building that would yes. have affordable units. What it took was an alderman who had, like, the political will to make that happen and, like, the base of organized people to put enough pressure yeah. Um to allow for like the zoning board um, to, uh, or, or to sorry, to like sort of force the zoning board's hand in allowing 100% affordable housing development to go up in Logan Square. Right. Um, and none of that has anything to do with architecture. Yeah. Maybe would some people be like more inspired to support it if the building was like nice for, versus being like ugly? Sure, maybe, mm -hmm. yes. And like, in fact, mm -hmm. you know, obviously I think that like all buildings should be beautiful. Um, <laughs> right. But like, I don't think that that is like the crucial thing that like either makes or breaks the possibility of uh, like a 100% a, a affordable housing development. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I also think, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I'd add that I think this, this idea, the phrase you used, the, the architectural imaginary, mm -hmm. It is, I think the architectural imaginary is that once upon a time, architects could make cities right. and shape social reality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through the kind of inherent gifts they have that make them <laughs> architects. Uh -huh. um, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how when people apply to architecture school, so many people want to talk about how they are naturally gifted or naturally creative. Yeah. So it's like they're destined to be an architect. And sadly, not many talk about, um, I'd like to do something about the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, or, right. or just I'd like to make people, you know, give people the experience of living yeah. in a nice space yeah. mm -hmm. aesthetically. Yeah. Either it's about what, you know, that they feel obliged yeah. mm -hmm. to speak about their innate creativity. And this runs right through yeah. to professional practice especially right. at the kind of higher level so this imaginary is is something that architects yeah imagine right <laughs> mm -hmm. that, yeah. that they they have and perhaps no one else really has right, right. when <laughs> when actually when actually like the the reasons why that's so silly are, are around us all of the time right because even 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 under capitalism like the fact that like the fact that buildings aren't like um uh, like aren't constantly like falling down and catching on fire. I mean, you know, there's a, the horrible tragedy in Miami recently in yeah. Grenfell yeah. Tower, yes. but like these these are comparatively rare events, and I and I always and I always find it amazing. It's, it's like why? Because no one 
at any point during the process of construction can have a total idea of a building, like not even an architect, right? It's, it's only through the fact that you have hundreds, if not thousands of people who have a hand in the construction, either they're manufacturing the materials or, you know, in a factory somewhere, or they're moving them to the site, or it's an engineer or, or a worker with some expertise, or you know, like there's all these roles. And it's only by bringing all of those things together that we have a relatively safe built environment. Like uh, there's something like even under capitalism, about like the way in which like it's it's people's collective ability that's already there that like make that like shapes reality yes. right and so 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 to kind of um, um, put put an architect at the, at the top of that like is all is, is sort of is like wrong from the beginning like the architects do have a sort of maybe uh, like a, a a role in it that 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 is somewhat privileged but like. Um, but at the end of the day, like, um, it, it takes a village, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, and I'm, I mean, I think that one of the other things that's that's kind of on my mind with this is I think sometimes people sort of hear this as a, as a very, you know, the sort of idea that you know, architects don't have much agency or, you know, as a, as a very cynical critique. And they're like, you know, and I, I think sometimes it's like, well, what am I supposed to do, <laughs> you know, in, in that? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that... Um, we haven't always said it on, on this show, or just in the sort of architectural left, if that's really a thing, like mm-hmm. in general, like that, I mean, I think it's actually a much more, much more optimistic vision. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's not rooted in cynicism. I think um, it, it's actually, I think, I, because we believe that there's a, 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 a real possibility that the world could be organized differently, right? Absolutely. And um, so it's, it's not that, you know, the case that, well, architects don't have any agency, so we should pack it all in. It's a, it's a perspective that says, well, like, look, the profession is proletarianizing, which means that it's sort of losing its professional gloss and uh, uh, it's losing a sort of privileged relationship to capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and it's really becoming sort of um, not a factory, but like an, like an intellectual factory, yeah. right? I mean, a sort of dra- a, 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 a drawing factory. A CAD factory, right? A blueprint factory. <laughs> and like, you know... Um, and, and and I think for me, like there's um, a new a new agency in that, right? The agency that we have, like as 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 workers, right? Uh-huh. So if uh, I think maybe if in the time of Tafori's writing in like yes. the fifties or even even prior to that, there was maybe um, it, it might not have been so so unrealistic to say that like we we sort of uh, that architects as a profession mm. sort of. Um, were in some ways in in charge of sort of shaping and forming like in, in like literally in terms of architectural form yeah. like the welfare states and and now that's not that's not what we do um and there's new possibilities for that um and I, i'm i'm curious if if y'all have any any thoughts or elaborations on that on the architect as worker yeah yeah well you know i always really like to tell well first of all why do we talk about workers yeah Literally everything, I'm looking at around this room for people who are not in this room, which is everyone who's listening to this, uh, <laughs> there are items in front of me. Every single <laughs> one of these items, there's like a, a can of soda, uh-huh. there's a lamp, there's a keyboard, there are papers. Every single one of these items was made by 
a worker mm-hmm. or multiple workers. Probably that keyboard that I'm looking at, I'm looking like a, at a plastic, white plastic keyboard. Probably those keys were put there with someone's hands mm-hmm. um, or at least made sure that they were in there with someone's hands, right? So everything that that we have is made by workers, which means that um, all of the money that is made by selling these products belong is produced that money is is a result of the work that someone has put into making these products then what happens probably very 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 small percentage of that uh money goes to like paying workers for their labor and the rest is kept by uh, profits of the owners of the companies that produce this keyboard to continue with the example and um that is sort of the status quo with under this current system, um, we workers, the only sort of power that they have um, available to them in terms of how, in terms of being able to control what they what they spend their time doing and how they spend their time doing, is to withhold that labor mm-hmm. that makes all that money for the owners of those of those mm-hmm. companies of those firms. Um, in in exchange for something, right? They're, they they hold their labor hostage in yeah. a way, and they say, "I'm not going to go back to work until you know the conditions at the keyboard factory improve." Um, I know I sound like I'm being funny, but I'm I'm being totally serious. This is like how our world works, and mm-hmm. this is why we say that workers are really important. One is because they literally, we literally make our the world go round, mm-hmm. and two. Um, because we sort of have the, the, the ultimate power of um, being able to, to choose to stop working mm-hmm. and there, thereby stop certain sectors of the economy, obviously depending on like the, the breadth and depth of, of the organization of a, of a stoppage, frequently called a strike. So anyway, I just wanted to talk about why we talk about workers. But I also like to tell the story that like I think I've told on the show before about the Not Our Wall campaign. Mm-hmm. Can I tell it? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, which is a story about, like, what happens when, like, architecture workers uh, organize, which is in 20, this was in 2018, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that right? 2017? Yeah, 2017. 2017, if you all remember, like, there was a big, um, the the southern border wall uh, RFQP went out, request request for for proposals, proposals, I think it was, Mm -hmm. uh, from the Trump administration, and, you know, um, realistically, there were only like three firms in the U.S. that could take on such a project, and workers at one of those firms organized um, against it, against their mm-hmm. firm um, submitting a response to the request for proposals, and they were successful. They actually prevented the firm for, from submitting a response, which is huge, right? That's mm-hmm. 33% of the potential <laughs> labor that could have gone into making that wall that was... Um, taken out of uh, mm-hmm. the competition, and that was because these workers were like, "We're not going to come to work if if yeah. this is w- if this is what we will be made to work on." Yeah, um, and that's just like a really small example, and, and I fairly rare in the architecture mm-hmm. industry. But that is that is the kind of like 
organizing that we need to be talking about. That's the kind of power that architecture workers have. Of course, right now, because architecture workers are like not organized at all, um, and because the kinds of things that especially big architecture firms work on are like often so absolutely appalling yeah. that like that's where like or I, I think that's where organizing would have to start or yeah. has to continue going. Let's say in the architecture field, like we should be doing like more organizing around like not building prisons, etc. Mm. But like I think eventually enough of that could snowball to where architects could start like demanding, you know, yeah. 32-hour work weeks. Why not? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a, a just quickly, yeah, there's a a quote um capital is only the fruit of labor and could never have existed if labor had not first existed. Labor is the superior of capital and deserves much hi- the higher consideration. Um, and if you th- and I'm sure someone is uh, screaming at their radio saying, you know, listen to these socialists, listen to that socialist <laughs> quote. And that that, my friends, is a quote by Abraham Lincoln. That's <laughs> right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, comrade Abe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Doug, you, you look like you had some, some words on your tongue there. Yeah. yeah. No, just to kind of follow up what Marinella was, was citing, I, I think. And then the other part of this is, you know, the architect as mm-hmm. worker. So I, I think what it's not a, a unique position, but I kind of understand that, you know, if you what you're taught, amongst mm-hmm. other things, at many architectural schools, at least by some professors, is this notion that you as an individual are, you know, a very creative person yeah. and, and you and, w- and what you have and I, understandably you know you think what you have is oh you know I have those architectural skills so mm-hmm. I have to use those to improve the world or challenge the existing state of things mm-hmm. in in some ways as an individual mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's 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 a hard but necessary ask to, mm-hmm. to kind of disillusion yourself of, of right. that notion that you, your agency lies in your individuality mm-hmm. and that your agency lies in your architectural yeah. skills. Yeah. Yeah. We know that those architectural skills work to keep things as they are. Mm-hmm. And in other conditions that were better, they might be useful <laughs> sure. to do that. <laughs> right, but right. You, you can't get from one to the other just with architecture. Right. Yeah, you have to be in, involved in, in. I mean, you already are involved, right? And in, yeah. in, 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 in <laughs> I, I, I joke all the time. You know, one of the the, sa- the sage quotes of buildings on air is, uh, "We live in a society." Uh, you know, we do. Which is, uh, George Costanza said. That. I think the interesting <laughs> thing about about architecture, like vis a vis, like okay, the keyboard, mm-hmm. is that you can't sell a piece of architecture the way that you sell a keyboard, so and so mm-hmm. it's like less. It's less clear, like where the profits like right. are necessarily coming from um, and um, what then like the architecture, the status of a mm-hmm. building as a commodity is different is different from the status of like this keyboard as mm-hmm. a commodity, right? Like the money that it is then like, or the profit, let's say that it is then like extracted from a building right. comes from like uh, a developer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, well, you, usually, it's right? Not Dep- a, yeah, depending. Yeah, it's not a, like a, a commodity in the same way that a keyboard is. Mm-hmm. But, but, and so I think that that's that's one of the. I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's one of the things that like obfuscates perhaps mm-hmm. like the role of the architect as yeah. worker. Yeah, exactly, and I, I think if you, I mean, that's one of the, I think, not terribly useful criticisms that some is sometimes made of architecture when it's called spectacular or so you've mm. just made the architecture into a commodity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as if it's not 
in the first place or, or <laughs> architecture is being commodified. Right. And that's because architects and, and certain architecture critics like to think that it has this elevated status, right. which it's allowed to sustain on and what Marinella is saying is it seems to be a kind of one remove from sure. the notion of, you know, yeah. someone shining shoes or right. selling lighters or right. it, it seems to be more elevated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a kind of radical humility yeah. <laughs> to be that you're kind of presenting yourself with if, if you want to acknowledge that you're an arch- you are a worker as right. an architect you are a worker mm-hmm. and I think that, that some of the um, some of the, the, the stuff that's written about in terms of architecture and labor ultimately comes from a resistance mm-hmm. to considering it yeah as, mm-hmm. as labor and the notion that oh well architects were once a profession right. And this goes back to what you were saying. Mm. So rather than accept the notion of being made into, right. in more obvious ways, workers. Right, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. And then thinking, okay, what do we do with that? Like yeah. unionize. Yes. Um, is like, well, no, we want our our privilege. We want our, right. our, our position of respectability back. Yeah. We want to be patronized again, yeah. right. right? I think that yeah. that's... Because that's how I mean, if we if we go back to like what like the 16th century and mm-hmm. like that um, that that was and sort of like the birth of like the capital A architect. Yeah, they were they had patrons, right? Right. Who, who paid them to like you know produce uh, their their architecture, and in that way they were sort of protect like had a sort of protected I would say like mm-hmm. class status right. um but also like terribly precarious just just yeah. as like architects are terribly precarious today yeah. and as they um rely on patrons too today yeah. like a developer is a type of a patron and yeah. then if you do like you know high end uh single family residential mm-hmm. you also have a pa- that's yeah. a patron yeah one to, to pick up on that a little bit you know I think that it, this, this, I mean, this, this is something that 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 Marx talks about in the Communist Manifesto. Uh, is mm-hmm. is sort of um, how under capitalism, um, sort of professions and and sort of artisans and and uh, people in the middle class are are sort of gradually made made into workers over mm-hmm. over time. And I I think that like that's that's actually like a very long historical process yeah. and I think we I yeah. think that sometimes we lose sight of that and I think one of the very confusing things for especially like young architects who are sort of trying to navigate these ideas is is like well like are are all architects workers like right now right and the answer is it's it is very uneven because mm-hmm. I, I like most architects all all archi- well most architects and, and most architectural workers the vast majority like do have to sell their labor power in order to survive I would say that that may, puts them in the social relationship of of being a worker yeah. but but mm-hmm. but there is a kind of unevenness to um, this sort of privileges and, and sort of the, the sort of social connections and uh, social status that that sort of com- comes with all of that. Yeah. And I think that you, you see this tension all the, all the time in, in sort of, uh, the, yeah, again, I, I, I talk about the architectural left as if it's like a cohesive, like known thing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really amorphous and kind of not. But, uh, but it's, I, it's a secret club. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, it's, 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 a, it's the best shorthand I have to talk about sort of, you know, everyone who listens to this show and, and more, right? You know, uh, I think, um, but I think there is like a, 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 
attention there where some of the ideas are a, a shade reactionary of wanting to go back uh, to this idea of the gentlemanly professional and, and yeah. maybe they want to lose some of the sort of like racism and, and sexism and homophobia that went along with that. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, like it's still this, this sort of, you know, I, I want to go back to when we, when, you know, we were upstanding professionals and who had a, a privileged access to the capitalist class and, and that's gone. Like yeah. th- that might still exist in, in parts of our, of, of the industry but but it, you could you might be able to achieve that if you're like really 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 want to as an individual right or or if you're a principal at an office you know in which case right. you're you're a capitalist yourself you know and, and, but but that for, for the majority of, of architectural workers like that's that's going to become like less and less the case mm-hmm. and so you know really i think it's 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 like are you are you looking backwards and trying to salvage something or are you looking forward and trying to um recognize that like okay maybe maybe not now but in 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 the the near future like um my my interests as a worker are aligned with the interests of uh other workers i mean they're closer uh, to like you know the person like laying down brick mm-hmm. or or you know putting up a, a like wood you know, right. balloon frame at, at a site than they are with your boss right yeah. right if you're yeah and you know. that, that's an interesting way to to think about it as well in terms of like the the historical moment mm-hmm. at which architects become architects right. as we understand them is as you said it's it's the renaissance mm-hmm. and as as that guy Tafuri and what, what he's doing is <laughs> Mamma Mia, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is one of the things that he's, he's interested in. It's like doing he's interested in the contemporary yeah. ultimately, um, but he's trying to un, he's trying to understand like the long duration and, yeah. of, of capital and its processes, right. and that that moment in the Renaissance is when architects establish themselves mm-hmm. by distancing themselves as a class mm-hmm. from construction workers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this is something that the uh, brazilian architect and activist sergio ferro talks about mm-hmm. uh, in, in much more detail actually is that break of design yeah. from construction right. and that you know he, he when he writes about that he's writing about that going on in in the construction of brasilia right. so right. where you have progressive you know, literally communist architects uh-huh. um, working in Brazil, right. like Niemeyer. Um, but if you look at the conditions of the construction site, mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's the most gross exploitation sure. of, yeah. of labor. Of people died. Yeah. 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 And so for, for Ferro, that kind of drove him back to say, well, when, when right. from where does this, this split right. arise? Yeah. Um, but now we're in this this kind of stage where it's the architect's turn to be proletarian. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and yeah. You, you embrace that as like the that's the unfolding of, of things, that, and you have to kind of seize what's right. positive about that and what is um, radical about right. that mm-hmm. moment, yeah. rather than looking back nostalgically. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think it's also worth being sort of realistic and upfront about. You know, we talk about architectural workers being precarious, and in a lot of ways they they are. And I think mm-hmm. that that's been an important sort of rallying cry 
Um, but also, you know, there's, there's a sort of larger expanded discourse about the precariat and, and precarity in, in capitalism. And I yeah. think, I think it's, I think, uh, it's worth sort of saying like, yeah, like architectural workers, like are precarious in a number of ways. And, and, and that's a kind of basis for solidarity, but they're also kind of, I think has to be a sort of, uh, realism about uh, the fact that like uh there there are people who are much more precarious yeah. than, than us um, well it's yeah yeah i mean to pick on that you know to to look at that phrase you know we are precarious workers uh-huh. is so what's you know i think there are some useful things about that but mm-hmm. but also it could be read uh, more suspiciously perhaps and saying well are you complaining that you're precarious mm-hmm. do you think that you shouldn't be precarious yeah um and why, why are you saying that it's a big deal that architects are precarious mm-hmm. workers? Because everyone is, right. or, you know, mm-hmm. huge sections of the working population mm-hmm. are precarious workers. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the writing, the, theoring of, mm-hmm. the theory of being precarious mm-hmm. would originally comes from uh, a recognition of the way, of a kind of hyper-exploitation in, in capital of workers whose aim was not, just to make those workers secure, but it comes from a revolutionary perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's not about kind of restoring some injustice that's been done. Right. Yeah. It's right. about recognizing how capital works right. mm-hmm. and then yeah. responding to it as a class. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no way, there, there would be no way to improve like the status of only one of only one, one strata of industry or even yeah. yeah one segment of the industry yeah. or even just like one strata yeah. of workers right? right without bringing like to to like put it in like the frame of like an office let's mm-hmm. say like um in order to like i don't know get like the designer to mm-hmm. to go from making 45 to $55,000 right. a year the salary of the office manager is going to have to go up to <laughs> the people who clean the toilets right. and like you know yeah. um the junior like intern who right. has like just walked in the door right um when, yeah and this is a long standing debate in the labor like hundreds of years old in a yeah. debate in the labor movement between uh craft unionism and industrial unionism right yeah. so like there was this kind of idea of, of craft unions which were were organized along the lines of a single trade and then there were other unions who said no 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 uh, that's not going to work like if we if we really want to get what we want like we have to organize on on uh a, a wider basis and yeah. have, I, I mean, the, the sort of most extreme example is, is the international workers of the world, the wobblies, you know, one, mm-hmm. one big union for everyone. Yeah. Um, but, but then there's, there's even, even just organizing different types of workers in the same factory, right. Is, yeah. is a kind of example of industrial unionism. Mm-hmm. And I think you see a lot of, a lot of the unions that, that are existent. There's, there's not that many craft unions still around, but they're, they're out there certainly. Mm-hmm. And they, they do tend to be much more conservative, mm-hmm. like much more xenophobic. Yeah. And like um, um, and uh, also, I think not that successful in advocating for their members for, for that for that reason mm-hmm. of, of, yeah. of, you know, um, I mean, it's sort of it's it's sort of like the. I mean, like, you know, this is something that like trickle down econo- like right wing economics people say is like a rising tide lifts all boats. <laughs> but like in this case, in this case, they it's do. yeah, yeah, it's uh, when, that's not what we mean. Yeah, it's not what we mean. <laughs> but, but but I think it is what we mean. You know, it's 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 a, a sort of 
uh, a movement that encompasses a very wide yeah. swath of people who have an, an, an interest in living with dignity, mm-hmm. like has more power, right? right? You know, and I it's was the only just, way to kind of win that. I was just reading um, uh, Richard Rothstein's book, yeah. The Color of Law, where he um, where he talks about like um, segregation and, and the way in which uh, particularly like the federal government mm-hmm. um, uh, exacerbated um Segregation, especially in, in specifically in, in housing, um, in the 20th century. But he has this um, uh, really good um, sort of short anecdote about um, how UAW, the United Auto Workers, mm-hmm. um, had negotiated in their Richmond, California plant in the 40s for it to be illegal for the bosses to fire black workers to make room for white workers mm-hmm. who were coming right. back from the war, mm-hmm. and you know, I was thinking, like, I, I don't know who was at the bargaining table. It could be that I'm really wrong about this. Mm-hmm. But I am – I can pro- say with, like, some confidence that there were probably a lot of racist UAW members, mm-hmm. you know. But they knew that it was in their interest to not let their black coworkers get fired yeah. because mm-hmm. they knew that that would – that if that they allowed that to happen down the line – they could get fired for mm-hmm. no good reason too, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's it's just a good example of the of the way in which like um, all like the, the the destinies and like the interests of all workers are are bound up together. Mm-hmm. And when one's law improves, that that like forcibly mm-hmm. raises the standard right. for everyone else, right? Right. And I I think that parable is also a good one to talk about, like. Um, how like this, especially in America, like the the centrality of 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 anti racism mm-hmm. to like building building these mm. ma- like totally. building the basis for for these movements totally and and sort of like uh, on the one hand like um, yeah like ma- making it um, abundantly clear through movement building and political education that an injury to one is an injury to all Mm -hmm. um um, but 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 also sort of um you know like i don't know like our architecture is 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 still a very white very male like profession Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think and and i think um i have a hot take on this yeah what's go go for it i mean i was just gonna say the scalding yeah i I was just gonna say you know like uh, i think that there's 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 a a way of fighting against those things um my uh, hot take is that that will never be resolved until we have free education yeah k through college yeah yeah um, yeah. Because you can put it, and you can make as many wonderful fellowship and scholarship opportunities mm-hmm. for young architects going to college. You can have as many like, f- you know, programs and fellowships for for people who have just graduated. Mm-hmm. But the problem, especially in this country, is that there are absolute just generations of. Um, like of decimation, especially like Black people have gone through in this country, yeah. and and generations of of um, the the generational wealth gap right. is just enormous. It's and huge. People don't have the same access to education. Mm-hmm. 
at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was talking to someone so. recently. It's it's very it's like not uncommon for upper upper middle class white families to to take out a second mortgage on their house to pay for their kids' college these yeah, days. Yeah. Yeah. And if and in the context of of uh, uh, a racial generational wealth yeah. gap in this country, mm-hmm. that's just not something that that a lot a lot a lot of people can afford. Um, and uh, no. Yes. Yeah, so free free college too, in addition to K through twelve. <laughs> I said I said K through college. Oh, K through college. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. That's what we need. I mean, I mean that uh, yeah. that would go a long way, I think, on many on many levels. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about, you know, actually like making architecture or, or any field like yeah. less so white yeah. and less so male, yeah. because that's the other thing. It's like I don't know what your experience was in school, but we had a lot of women mm-hmm. um, who in my, my program, yeah. and then people and then people graduate, and yeah. then who are the people who are able to keep going? They're to usually people who have a, get licensed. Etc. There are people who have like the pre-existing resources. Those people are usually white, and those people are usually dudes. Yeah. For you know, yeah. So one, well, and I think we've got we've only got a couple minutes left here. But I think um, you know one of the things to to like add to that is that you you don't <laughs> yeah like if if we're talking about like winning. Uh, like reforms maybe re- like reparations like k through through college free these kinds of things like you don't win those fights on the basis of like being an, like if you got all the architectural workers like on the same page to be fighting yeah. for those things like uh that well you could probably get more far than you would expect that's uh, you know there's still like a eh, on a hundred thousand hundred fifty thousand architectural workers in america but but oh, that's uh really not that many. but it's not it's not very many but like you know the, but my point is you, you you don't win these on the basis of like being being an architectural worker like you 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 might have an architect's perspective an architect's experience sure. an architect's mm-hmm. critique of it but but that needs to be subsumed into and subservient into and just like a, a, a you know one sentence in a larger story of a movement that's fighting yeah. for those things because uh, that's that's the only way just when you're looking at this in, in terms of material power relations to, to win reforms like that yeah absolutely yeah 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 and it, it, it cuts i mean you could think of the things that are adjacent to architecture as well you know so you can talk about construction work right uh, but you could also talk about academia so that's the world yeah. i'm familiar with and many of the things we've been talking about about the kind of resistance to yeah. seeing yourself as a worker mm. the kind of way you're acculturated into thinking of yourself as a specially gifted indivi- individual mm-hmm. and you've got where you are because of your special talents yeah um not because of your, yeah. your identity right. Or, right? or your your access yeah. to, to resources. Yeah. But I think that's a good place for us to put a pin in it. Um, and yeah, uh, get, get collective, get collectively active. You know, I think there's lots of ways to do that. And um, I think that's the important thing. So find, find a political home for, for yourself would be my advice to listeners and um, uh, get to work and, and, um, Embrace the mess of it. (laughs) (laughs) And if the the home doesn't feel right, find another one, you know. Um, There's many of them. Yes, there's many of them. So, um, well, um, 
Marianella, uh, thank you so much. We wish you the best of luck Happy in New York. You'll have thank to you. dial in from the East Coast, yes. um, which doesn't exist in the epistemology of this show. Yeah. But That's correct. Yeah, uh, I'm going, I'm disappearing for the rest of forever. And yeah, and Doug, thanks so much for uh, yeah being willing to uh, jump in um, uh, and take some time out of your vacation to uh, you know talk talk with us. Vacation's on the show. a bourgeois. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm just doing some work, if you can call awesome. it that. Yeah, and make uh, myself feel better. And shout out to uh, <laughs> shout out to uh, super producer Jamie. Um, it's nice to be recording on real mics, and um, yeah, thanks for uh, inviting us into your space. And uh, yeah, here's to better audio quality, and um, yeah, more chats with Jamie in the future. Excellent. Well, this has been Buildings on Air. We'll talk to you next month. This has been Buildings on Air on Lumpen Radio. Buildings on Air is a production of Lumpen Radio. Hosted by Kiefer Dunn. Produced by Logan Bay and Jamie Trecker. Visit us on the web at buildingsonair.live. If you want us to answer your questions about buildings on the air, send them via Twitter at... B-L-D-G-S on air or via email at buildingsonair at gmail.com This show is also available as a podcast on iTunes.